0: Well, good evening, church. It's Sunday night again, and uh, here we are gathering around God's Word, the letter that changed the world, the biblical theology of Romans. Believe it or not, we're starting the last chapter, chapter 16, and it only took us 62 weeks to get here. The topic tonight is, a church is more than the total number of its converts. I'm going to read, let me just this uh disclaimer. I'm going to read Romans 16, the first 16 verses, which is just a list full of names, really hard to pronounce names. There's probably not a chance I'll get through these 16 verses without mispronouncing some of the names that Paul uses. But I'm going to do it because it relates to a point that I want to make in my teaching. So, Here we go. Buckle up as we read these 16 verses. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencree, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need for you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks For my life. Wow. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus. My brother in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet these workers in the Lord, Tryphea and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansicretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobes, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Wow. It'd be hard. Here's why I read all that. It's hard to read, really hard to read, especially when you're on camera. It would, But it would be hard for us to imagine just how much painstaking labor it would have been for Paul or his scribe to list all these names. There are 27 of them listed in those 16 verses. And I think we should see something significant in that. Without any word processor or even a pen or a pencil and a pad of paper, all of these names had to be scratched out. I went down a few years ago and saw the Dead Sea Scrolls at the Royal Ontario Museum, and I said to those who are with us that it was humbling for me to observe just the sheer effort that has been expended just to get, for you and for me, these Bibles that we carry to church, sometimes so thoughtlessly. I mean, these old manuscripts were tiny, detailed, and they were written with steady hands, usually in poor light. It would have taken Paul hours to scratch out those 27 names. And all of that makes me wonder... Why wouldn't Paul just say, Romans 16, 1, greet the saints in Rome for me? That's what I would have done. So I do think there's something important for the church to learn from this list of names, which is why I wrestled through reading it. Here are several thoughts I want to leave with you tonight. First, number one, the work God is doing in us through his spirit is bigger than what is happening in any one individual Christian. I mean, there's something going on in this text that you might not notice if you just, like we usually do, you kind of just skim and race over that list. Actually, you have to go back to Romans 1, 7, and you'd read this. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you. And peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter is addressed, intended for all Christians in all the churches in Rome. So you kind of have to remember that as you read. In 16, Paul takes time to single out specific individuals and congregations. So just for example, look at these words in 16, 3 to 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles as well. Then he says, note, greet also their church in their house. Okay, then you look at 14 and 15. Remember, this is to the church in their house, and still Paul says... 14 and 15, greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Neuros, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. So Paul sends out these greetings. Think about what's happening here to other specific Christians and groups. After already saying, one seven, that this letter was for all the Christians in Rome. So what's that all about? See, if I'm, if I'm talking to Chris Mix, I don't say, greet Chris Mix. So when Paul writes about passing on greetings to specific people, after already telling us this letter was for all the saints in Rome, it means, it means, it's important to him that other Christians in other churches in Rome, he wants those other Christians to know that he's passing on greetings to specifically named people. So when he writes, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, verse 13, it means he's not primarily saying that for Rufus, but for all the other saints who will hear about Rufus when this letter is read. Apparently, all those other churches need to hear Paul specifically mention greetings to Rufus. Okay, maybe you're sitting there wondering, what's this all about? It makes me wonder why. Okay, why is it important for all the churches, 1-7, why is it important for all the churches to hear Paul's specific greeting to Rufus? Okay, that's the question. And I think it is important because Paul wants the other Christians in other churches, ones he doesn't even name, he wants them to know what's going on in other parts of the church, what Rufus is doing. So what Paul's doing here, and it's easily missed, he's creating a big picture for these unnamed Christians not yet met. He doesn't know what they might be going through. We know that Rome wasn't a friendly place for Christians at this time. And so Paul wants these Christians, these other Christians in other churches, the generic ones that he doesn't name, he wants them to know they are part of something bigger than themselves. So they experience Christ individually, yes, But they're also involved in the same movement with Junia and Apollos and Rufus. There's a flow, there's a history, there's a continuity sweeping the whole world, and Paul wants them to know about it. In other words, no matter what you're going through, no matter what they're going through, while it's true, they need to know Jesus died for each individual. Jesus doesn't just deal with us as individuals. He creates a church. And it's a worldwide work that he's doing. So each individual Christian is part of something bigger than himself or herself. I think that's that whole reason for that long list of convoluted names in chapter 16, when Paul includes little details about the people, like the fact that Persis has worked hard in the Lord, verse 12, that Priscilla and Aquila risked their necks for my life, verse 4. He's not telling Persis and Prisca and Aquila anything they don't already know about themselves. He wants other Christians to know that they too can keep working hard for the Lord, and it matters greatly that they do. He wants these other Christians to know that there are those who, because their faith is more precious than life, they risk their necks, verse 4, for the spread of the gospel. And he wants those other Christians in the other churches at Rome to know there are people who risk their lives for the gospel. And so Paul's reminding all the Christians at Rome that all sorts of incredible, intelligent people find Christ so real, so compelling, that they're willing to stick their necks out for the gospel. And Paul wants to inspire all those unnamed Christians to the same kind of devotion. That's the reason for the list. There's a purpose in it. Get the names of Christians who live flat out for Christ. There's the lesson. Read their biographies. Learn their secrets. Spread their fame. Follow their example. Point number two. Here's something else I see in this list in this chapter. Paul wanted all the Christians in Rome to see the reality of relationships being stamped and saturated with the lordship of Jesus Christ. To me, this is uh, unavoidably emphasized. Just take note of the words Paul uses in the introductions for these names. He says, uh, welcome her in the Lord. If I was underlining, I'd underline in the Lord, verse 2. My fellow workers in Christ, verse 3. My first convert to Christ, verse 5. They were In Christ before me, verse 7. My beloved in the Lord, verse 8. My fellow worker in Christ, verse 9. Who is approved of Christ, verse 10. Greet those in the Lord, verse 11. Greet those workers in the Lord, verse 12. So this isn't just a list of names, there's a list of names, but it's more. This is the way a person saturated with Christ, this is the way that person comes to see relationships. That's it. This is Paul's way of reminding these Christians that Christ didn't just change them. He changed the way they relate to everyone else. So Jesus didn't just die to forgive you, and he didn't just die to forgive me. He died to transform the relationship between you and me. He didn't just make you new and me new. He made us new together. This has incredible ramifications for life in the church of Jesus Christ. I often wonder how much, how much sexual brokenness and scandal and pain could be avoided, let alone the moral confusion and stained conscience, if every man and every woman remembered that all these interpersonal relationships are in Christ Jesus. Seriously. I mean, Paul and the Holy Spirit is calling every single man and woman, young or old, who is outside of the marriage relationship to remember that you're not just out on a date with that member of the opposite sex. You're not just with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. There's something else to factor in. You're with someone else in Christ. How many church splits could be avoided if instead of squabbling over little things, people remember they were all joined in Christ, I know our culture just laughs at that kind of thing, but it is still true. In addition to all the other dynamics of the deepening relationships, even between the sexes in the church, there's another reality that simply can't be forgotten about if Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Probably all of us. All of us need to sit down and say, does this Christ-soaked relational element, does it get reflected in all of your emails, all of your posts, all of your tweets, all of your texts, all of your phone calls? Is it all in Christ? Point number three. I love this. Paul commends risk-takers for Christ Jesus. This is great on World Impact Sunday. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Romans 16. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles as well. I'm so pleased that the ESV, English Standard Version, that's our church's translation. I'm so pleased that it goes with the very literal translation, including this idea of risking the neck which is surely carried out in the original languages. I mean, I mean, in fact, to this day, we still talk about someone sticking his neck out. We mean he's taking a huge chance. He's, he's committed to the point that someone else can chop off his head. He's at the point where he's in. He's in with both feet and with his neck. He's, he's created his own vulnerability rather than sell out Christ. Christ. He won't sit on the fence. And it's a it's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing to see Christians, especially young Christians, who aren't afraid to stick their necks out for Christ. I love it. If you pride yourself on just being cool and detached and trendy, then forget about following Jesus. His kingdom, especially in this next decade, is going to be built by risk takers, people who stick their necks out. I know this is just my opinion, but I fear we, just, we seem to have fewer and fewer Christians who have found in Christ Jesus something so much bigger than their own life. It's easy to sing and talk about how great Jesus is. That's not the same as sticking your neck out. Christianity can get boring when it's preoccupied with just inner tranquility and self-satisfaction. It's just way too boring. And Paul would have all of us know that Christ is really only taking on the adventurous. And when we don't know for sure just what Priscilla and Aquila did for Paul, we do know that they were used to living on the edge for Christ, we're told that they were at one time Roman citizens. We know that. They were forced to flee when Emperor Claudius drove Christians out of Rome, Acts 18.2. We do know that they were probably involved in helping Paul escape certain death in a huge riot in Ephesus, Acts 19.23-41. It's likely the incident in which Paul refers to when they risk their necks for him, and then Paul sings their praises. He loved to see people whose devotion to Christ wasn't kept secret. He loved to see people not saving their lives somewhere on the shelf, but spending it, risking it for Christ. I want to close, I want to wrap up with this question. When did you last Stick your neck out for Christ. When was the last time you really risked something? When was the last time following Jesus gave you the same adrenaline rush you get from downhill skiing or hang gliding? When was the last time you felt like your commitment to Jesus really mattered in the cause of the kingdom? Get out into the deep end following Christ. Jump off the edge sometime soon. Let your friends know. Finally, let them know it's just too boring to live small. Prove that Jesus is Lord of everything. Prove that you don't just belong to a church, but that you're sold out eternally to Christ. Prove that those outside of Christ are just living way too small. So I hope you see it's quite a list of names. And there's a reason that they're in there. And so the next time you're reading Romans 16, make yourself say every one of them and start to see what God's doing in his kingdom, the relationships. Let's pray. We're wrapping up this letter, and we just thank you for the way your Holy Spirit has put so much in there that we can feed on and nourish our souls with. Thank you for your word. Let it be bread of life. Let it it be seed that grows and matures in our hearts. Let this be a great World Impact Sunday as we wrap it up. Let all the needs be met. Call people into service full-time. Build your kingdom through Cedarview Community Church. I ask it in Jesus' name, and I thank you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, church. God bless you. Join us now for our prayer time.